Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 13, 17, 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines. Even though that was a shorter route, God thought if the people had to fight and face war, they will run back to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the Red Sea Desert. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took with him Joseph's bone, just as Joseph had made Israel's sons promise when he said to them, when God takes care of you, you must carry my bones out of here with you. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. The Lord went in front of them during the day in a cloud, column of cloud to guide them, and at night in a column of lightning to give them light. This way they could travel during the day and at night. The column of cloud during the day and the column of lightning at night never left its place in front of the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It is so good to be with you this morning and to dive into this passage from Exodus and discover together what it has for us. Let's begin this time with prayer. We give thanks, O oh God, for your word. We give thanks, O oh God, for the witness across the ages of your faithfulness and your presence. We give thanks for the, the songs of worship that have called us to remember that you are with us and your desire is to give us new life. So come, Holy Spirit, in this time together that we might receive what you have for us on this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We're gonna be looking um, deeply uh, within the time frame that we have at the journey of the folks who are set free from enslavement in Egypt and become more the people of God. It is a fantastic journey and we won't be able to cover all of it, but I want us to be thinking as we talk about their journey about our own journeys. So I'll give you a little piece of my journey. So my name is Mary Paul, if you haven't met me. I was born and raised on Long Island, New York, uh, in an area of Nassau County, which is the gold right next to Queens, right on that border. I never had a New York accent. I was always asked growing up, I graduated high school there, where I came from. And I'm like, I came from here. I know I don't have your accent. But uh, a little New York does come out of me sometimes, so watch out for that. I went to college in the Boston area and met this guy. This is us in college when we first started dating in our sophomore year. So cute, so cute. That We're in chapel. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I, I, we married after college, about a year after college. And because of him, here's news for some of you, I'm what I would call a shirt tail fan of all Boston sports teams. Because he cares, I care deeply. So there you go. So a little uh, uh, recognition. I know, now, uh, they are deep in our hearts, in our home, so there you go. I pastor, I was ordained in the Church of the Nazarene, which ordained in the church is to ordain to the pastoring, preaching ministry. 
Um, and then from there, pastored churches around the Boston area, both north of Boston and south of Boston. I taught at another school in their theology uh, department and then landed here a little over 15 years ago. I have two sons and one daughter-in-law. My youngest son and his wife are alums from Point Loma. And then they brought into our world Benji, who has become a very significant part of our family. There you go. And Benji's at one of my favorite places in the world, Nubble Light in Maine. So that's high-level view of my life. We can take Benji down. There we go. (laughs) That's high-level, right? That doesn't have a lot of details. That doesn't tell you a lot about my immediate family that I grew up with. It doesn't tell you about the journeys in which I encountered God in powerful ways and the places of great sadness in my life. It doesn't tell you about the times in which I gave thanks for the miraculous and the times I looked into the dark of night and asked, where are you, God? And in some ways, we can read the story of the Exodus like that, like like large vision. We had a people, they were let go, they became free, they journeyed, and they ended up in the promised land. Like, that's high level. But there's so much more, certainly in my life, but certainly in their lives, for us to dig into this morning and hear a little bit about how their journey narrative might connect with some of our journey narratives. So we begin with this passage when it says, I wanna just read the first two verses again. When Pharaoh let the people go, like that's significant, that was a long journey to get to that point, a lot of details there. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, probably an understatement, For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So one of the first things that I notice in that passage is there's a little bit of dissonance of God led them not the shorter way, the longer way, because they're not ready to face war. Did you hear that? And then at the end, it says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. I think what we see there is God's wisdom and their sense of themselves being really different. Like God says, if they face war, which they will if they go the shorter route, and they go into the land of Philistines, when they face war, they're gonna turn around and move back to enslavement. They're not gonna live into the promise of where I wanna bring them. They're not gonna be able to be victorious in that place because they're not ready for that. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So there's something about their sense of themselves in this moment that God says, no, I need to take you on a longer road. And that 
feels like it connects with me somehow. When we think about where they're at right at this moment is they have just been released from Egypt. They haven't even had the miracle of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea yet. And they are feeling victorious. And they are feeling strong. And they are feeling able. And they are ready for battle. And I think God says, no, you're you're not ready yet. I need to take you on a different route. If you were to look up the Exodus journey on 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 a map, you would see that there is this route that could have gone pretty much, some people estimate it for about a 10 day journey, pretty straight through, though we recognize that there's Philistines along the way. And instead, you see the map is like a deep U. And it's not even like a deep U directly, it's a deep U with what I would call these twists and these turns. These places in which they encounter and are tested and are taught new ways of being. I am a shorter route kind of person. And certainly, I mean, even if the occasional times I decide, well, let's take the scenic route. I'm adding a couple hours. 10 days, 40 years. That's, that's a different kind of journey than they had in mind. That's a different kind of journey when they were set free from Egypt where they felt like they were gonna go right in to this promised land and live it out. But God knows they're not ready. This might be like overly dramatic, but I think Google Maps at some level has saved my marriage. When we got married a long time ago, there were no Google Maps. There was maps. They were maps you bought at the store and charted out your journey. And as you can imagine, as we would do that together, there are often times where one of us misread the map or one of us didn't hear when the person said, this is our exit here, or what, we won't blame, it was always Bruce's fault, but we won't blame anybody. But there were these tense moments, and I really am so thankful to have this other voice speaking into our reality that tells me, get into the second lane from the right, be ready for this exit. I really appreciate that voice, and usually it takes you on the most efficient route. Occasionally it messes up, I'm sure you've experienced that. This past summer when we were driving cross country, we are in a part of the United States never been before. We're following this kind voice that has guided us well up to this point. And as we're driving along, all of a sudden I start seeing signs that say, the next nine miles of this road are unpaved. I don't know how we ended up off-roading together in our Subaru, but we did, and it also was in a low gas time. Not, not our best moment of our travel, but at least we could both be angry at the voice and not each other. Typically, the purpose of our journeys is to get to the destination. Typically, we want to go from here to there in the quickest way. But the purpose of a journey with God is quite different. There is certainly a destination to which God promises he is bringing us. But the journey itself is a journey of transformation. 
It's a journey that reaches from the outward kind of appearance that we're ready for battle and begins to work in the inward most parts of our places and beings in which there's work to do, in which there are ways in which our identity needs to be transformed from a people who were enslaved to a people who are free. And that doesn't happen overnight. And we see that in the story of Exodus. That even when they cross the Red Sea, which is a miraculous moment, a moment that clearly shows them God is with them and God is making a way, that there is still this transformation of life and being as individuals and a people. Because they have been living under Pharaoh's reign. They've been living as slaves. They've been formed by that experience. Does that make sense to you? Like they have been formed, like this is how we survive this world. This is how we manage this kind of reality. And so you have all sorts of ways of being and talking and and ways of reacting that come from that deep experience of being an enslaved people in a system like Pharaoh's. And so this transformation is one that God wants to do with us bit by bit, step by step. So some would see the parallel of the Red Sea experience to our baptismal experiences, right? This identity shift of I am by the mercies of God saved and saved for a new life. And yet when we think about Again, these Israelites and the journey ahead of how much they needed to to learn and be formed by God into a new people. That's true for us in baptism, right? Like when we are baptized and raised out of the waters, there is so much more that God wants to do in us and through us and among us as a people. I had a professor in my school of theology who talked about walking across the Boston Commons, which is this area in Boston where anybody can stand up and proclaim anything they want. It's, that's what it's made for, a place of proclamation. It can be uh, any ideology. But he was walking across and a street evangelist called out to him and said, sir, are you saved? And he said, I am saved and I am being saved. There's something in that for us, to be a people who begin to walk with humility in this life with God. Like, what do you want to reform in me? What do you want to wash away in me? What do you want to speak new in me? And you think about some of the lessons that the Israelites had to learn and live into and struggle with. One of those is keeping the Sabbath which is in some ways kind of this shocking invitation when we realize that as slaves, there was never a day of rest. As slaves, their value was upon their ability to produce. So the stronger the slave, the more able, the more um, productive for the owner, then the higher value they had. So they had to work constantly at the whim of those who had power over them. And here God says, I want you to rest. 
Your value isn't built on your productivity. Your value is that you are mine and I am yours. I mean, that's powerful. And they have a hard time with that. They have a hard time living into the Sabbath rest. And I do too. But we're called into this new relationship of understanding that we are not living under Pharaoh's reign. We are the reign of God who sees each of us and values us and loves us and calls us to rest. There's something beautiful in there that I keep being called into. Another lesson that we see that they have to struggle with is not to hoard. Like they're given each day manna. Give us this day our daily bread. Should, should ring some bells for us, right? And they're told, take enough for your household for the day. And if they gathered more than what was needed, it would become like worms. I mean, that's, that's a way to teach you not to hoard, right? There's something in there, again, that there is this economy of scarcity that was part of Pharaoh's reign. And there's this song of abundance being sung over them in the reign of God. Receive this day your daily bread. Have enough for your household, but let the other households have what they need too. There's something beautiful that were being called into and they were being called into as they took this U-shaped journey to the promised land. We have this amazing picture of a God who is present in day and night, and night and day. I love that imagery of this God who will lead us and who will guide us and who will be with us. That as a people, they were learning to lean in to how we will follow God and follow God faithfully, and they struggled. And that had to be formed in them, not just as a readiness to battle, but in a deep, deep sense of knowledge, of trust, and rest, and celebration. There are songs within the journey that are sung to encourage them all to remember that God is with them and is mighty and is leading them. There's something powerful in there. There's something even in the imagery of a cloud during the day that would provide shade and the heat and the sun and the fire at night that would bring light and warmth for the journey. I think there's something in here that all of us need to learn as we think about the lessons of their journey. And one of those is this sense of humility, not humiliation, but humility. That God is God. And God is at work. And it's by God's power we're gonna make it to the promised land. Not by mine but by God's power, God's Holy Spirit working on us. The the long road requires us to be dependent on God's grace and mercy in all the journey that has its swirls and its ups and its downs and its turnarounds. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then it says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So good humility isn't about I'm there and everybody else is here. It's we are all beloved of God and God is God. And by his Spirit, he will walk with us step by step. One of the realities in the journey is that there are these places that I call these swirls in their, in their U-shaped journey. These places where they get turned around. These places where they learn, uh, lose sight of God. These places where they grumble and complain. And I certainly relate to all of that as well. The places where I find myself, where are you God, what are you doing? where my expectations of what was gonna happen next didn't happen when I grieve, places in which answer, prayers were not answered in the way that I hoped or dreamed, those swirling places where I need to find and hear again a witness over my soul and my heart that God is at work, that God hasn't deserted me, that God is still leading me. And that's true for our friends in this journey of the Exodus as well. Certainly all of us these past two years in various ways have experienced loss and pain and grief. And I, I don't know anybody that hasn't said, what are you up to here, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? And one of the gifts in my life certainly was, um, especially when everything was so shut down, like long walks of praying, of listening, and often having some times of songs being sung over me. And there is these songs that come throughout the journey of the Exodus people. Miriam is known for her song of praise. But there was a song that kept singing over me and I was remembering it as we're preparing the sermon of how it connects. It says, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Can you hear? That's the story of Exodus being sung over us time and time again. You have proven you'll do just what you said. I want us to just have a moment and have that song sung over us just for a minute. And then we'll come back. Listen and let that song be sung over you today.
That song was such a gift over me in so many different ways. And I would sing along, and of course, if you listen to Maverick City, you know it's probably about 11 minutes long in there. (laughs) But it was this powerful reminder of the story of the people of Exodus and how God was faithful and brought them through that U-shaped journey with all its twists and swirls. And God will be able to bring me through and you through as well. There's this odd little message in here that I think is also part of this passage that I don't want us to skip over. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. So that's beautiful right there that Joseph before he died just like spoke over the people. God will surely come to your aid. And then he adds, and then you must carry my bones up from, with you up from this place. Take me with you. So one of the questions I have is, whose bones do you carry? Who's spoken over you and said, God will come to your aid? Who has been faithful and living out a life and has said to you, I know that God is with you and for you and at work in you and God will make a way through all the swirls and the turns around. Whose song do you carry within you that encourages you in those moments like all of us where you say, what are you doing, God? Are you here? Where are you? There was a season in my life in which I was visiting this elderly woman at a nursing home. It's when I was in college again, and I met her because she had been important in my mom's life. She had been the academic dean of the Nazarene College that's in the Boston area. But at that time, she was an elderly woman in a nursing home room. And I would go visit her, and... She couldn't do the back and forth conversation. She was still sharp, but she just wasn't able to follow kind of the conversation flow. So I just learned to let her say what she wanted to say. And God used her in amazing ways that she would so often share a part of her story and her journey in one of those swirling places and how God worked in her and how she had seen over time. She was then in her 90s. God's faithfulness over the journey and her utter trust in God in this season and time of her life. And it was just so powerful. I mean, now, to be honest, I mean, there were a lot of those, but there were times when I visited her and it was just like, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> but this particular one has always stayed with me. I went to visit her. She was sitting in an easy chair that she had been able to bring from her home. So it had this kind of older feel to it. And she was sitting, and she had these paper slippers on that the nursing home gave her. And she leaned into me, and she said, you know, this journey with God is a two-step journey. It is trust and obey. Just trust and obey. There are times when you will not be able to see where God is leading you, and I want to say, trust and obey. And then she began to sing over me, this old hymn in the church that had this chorus, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. 
And she just tapped it out and kept singing it. It's been over 40 years. And there are times when I carry the bones. Her name was Bertha Monroe. Is that a great name? I carry the bones of Bertha with me, who spoke over me. God will come to your aid. Trust and obey. There's something about carrying the stories of others, including the Exodus people, that we might be formed from slavery into becoming more completely the people of God, holy, set apart, to love God with all of our being, all of who we are, and love our neighbors with a commitment to be people of grace in the world. I've asked George to come and just help us to sing a song over each other, that it might carry us kind of similar to how I've been carried by that simple chorus of trust and obey. That we might hear that the God of Abraham, the God of covenant is faithful for you and for me in this time and season that feels still so much upheaval that God is still God. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire providing for you. So would you sing along with George in this song?